What is it that drives people to be brave? To commit acts of heroism, often in the face of the enemy. I'm Darren Coventry, former soldier and now video and podcast producer at BFBS. I've been talking to men and women who've received the UK's highest military honours. We talk about what happened, what they thought at the time, and how they feel about it now. This is Tea and Medals. Before we launch season two, Tea and Medals producer Gisela wants to ask me a few questions. I've always wanted to say this. Former soldier, Darren Coventry, how do you take your brew? Uh, white one. And we're not going to mention the nickname for that. There isn't a nickname for that. I thought there was. A white one, no. Oh. All the nicknames you've given me <laughs> for the different ways yeah. of having a cup of tea yeah, and that, yours doesn't have... So a NATO standard was white too, but I don't think... Was it a, NATO substandard? N- maybe. Um, <laughs> yeah, white one. So this time you don't get to ask the questions. I do. How do you feel about that? It is quite nerve-wracking. Um, and yeah, let's see what we've got. Yeah, so as your producer, I thought it might be quite fun to find out a little bit more about your military experience, reflect on series one and throw ahead a little bit to series two. You up for that? Yep, that's, I mean, obviously series two is coming soon, so let's kick it off with a... And are you going to drink your tea? Are you going to be the first person... I always drink my tea. ...to finish your tea? (laughs) The first Do you always finish yours? I always finish mine. Okay, well, I'll have to try and finish mine, won't Uh, I? I could try, I'll be the first guest, I guess, to finish the tea. Okay. So let's start by talking about your career in the army. When did you join up and why did you join up? Um, so I joined in 1994. Um, I don't really know why I joined. It hadn't been in my long-term aspirations. It just, actually, I joined the army cadets. And I guess that's where the interest came from. And I was always very technical. I wanted to be an engineer. That was the kind of route I was going down. I was actually had thought about joining as an officer um, and then realised I didn't really want to have the full kind of academic route. So I switched, joined as a soldier, joined the REMI, and then in basic training, my instructor was a guy called Nick Summerhays, who was a bit of a character. He was a military police corporal then. He went on to be the core RSM of the military police, so um, it didn't change for a single day between being corporal and the chorus and and I thought actually it's one of the things I had thought about but had gone down the Remy route and I just decided then I I wanted to change and become military police and I asked him he used to have a big bushy moustache and he was like uh, you want to join my corps? (laughs) and I was like yes corporal (laughs) did he give you a choice? eventually eventually (laughs) he made it happen and uh, uh, yeah uh, I transferred and joined the military police and then from Royal Military Police to video producer, tell us a little bit how that happened. Um, so that, I guess, is not the normal route, but I always had a creative something going on. I, I liked art. I liked um, making little holiday videos. Um, I was like to take photos um, and I was starting to take some of it a little bit more seriously. So there's always completely away from work that was always going on in the background there was always something that I liked to do that was a little bit 
creative. And then the Media Academy um, at BFBS just happened to start a year before the end of my military career. So timing-wise, actually when it came down to the months, timing-wise, it became perfect. I left the military um, in June at the end of my 24-year career and started studying full-time at the BFBS Academy in October. So, you know, everything kind of aligned uh, and I ended up with a place at the BFBS Academy learning all about the different creative aspects. It wasn't just about video, but I focused on video and um, was very fortunate at the end of that year of study um, to be offered a job and come on to the BFBS creative video team. And what's it like working with a load of civvies? Um, I don't, BFBS hasn't got normal civvies. They're, I'm, I've, yeah, I'm but, a normal civvy. But the people that have been around BFBS, especially for a long time, um, such as, as you, you've been immersed in the military world. So you're, you're a kind of grey area in between. And, and obviously, as you know, without the wider company, we have people deployed, we have people who've been on operations, and we've had people in every corner of the globe and still do. Um, so I don't think there's many 100% civvies in BFBS, but it's great to work with such a broad range of of people, and especially our video team, um, you know, we've got a real broad range of people in such a small team. And yeah, it's great to work with them and learn from them. And, you know, they're a young team who are bringing lots of new, fresh ideas to you know, I'm a bit of a dinosaur, maybe. Um, not in technology wise, but I'm definitely um, been around a while. So it's good to get those fresh opinions from people like Precious on camera three. And Amy on and Amy camera. And Amy on camera one. She's not that young, though. <laughs> Oof. Right. <laughs> so now you're a podcast host for Tia Medals. So we started planning this idea for the Tia Medals podcast before you were involved, and we were looking for a host. And somebody suggested you because we wanted somebody who could talk the talk with military people who'd been there, who'd done that. But I had no idea what you'd be like. So I was a little bit nervous of so you. So was I. <laughs> you doing it. But then we realised you can talk the hind legs off a donkey. <laughs> I, so I never aspired to be in front of the camera or in audio voicing anything. And actually it was my worst nightmare. And when I was asked to do it, it was a big like moment for me was like, do... Yeah, you've got to jump in the deep end. You can't be half-hearted. Got to get into it. You know, talking I can do. I spent lots of years interviewing soldiers for naughty things, but obviously that gives me experience in interviewing. Um, and I, I hope that in some way transpires into getting stuff out of people. Yeah, so I had to just jump in in the deep end. But you do it really well because you do it. You haven't got that journalist background. But you just want to know, and that's that's the main yeah, thing. And I, I, the reason that I really wanted to be part of this was because I know how many stories are out there that don't get told outside of their immediate circles. You know, some of the people that we have spoken to are really well known in their in in their peer group, 
everyone knows in the battalions who's got a military cross or or even you know something at one of the higher awards everyone knows but outside of their their peer group those stories aren't really that well known some of them make the papers or some of them yes become headlines and then others don't i guess if there's something unusual about it or a high award or you know we spoke to michelle goodman with the first woman um to ever be awarded the distinguished flying cross for her actions in iraq they make the the papers and they become I, i guess a bit more widely known and widely famous and then you know we've got the conspicuous gallantry cross there aren't many of those around there's only i think there's less than 30 ever been awarded the Victoria Cross, we haven't been able to get a recipient for the show because there's so few of them alive. But they're actually, you know, because they've been around for a lot longer time, there's more than 2,000 Victoria Crosses being awarded. So they're actually much more common than medals like the Conspicuous Gallantry Cross. So those stories are known, but those military crosses and the Distinguished Flying Crosses, which are, aren't as well publicised and, and actually might be publicised at the time, but then they... You know, the, the stories just kind of die off. That's what I wanted to tell. Um, there must be a way that we can tell the stories that don't get the recognition that they necessarily um, deserve. And I would love to be able to tell some of those stories, some of those real, um, in the military and the army anyway, they're called dits. Um, and every, every unit, every subunit have got dits that people talk about and stuff. Um and they didn't get recognition for what they did, but everyone everyone knows that that's a whole very complicated thing about who gets recognised and who doesn't and who gets what award and who doesn't. Um, but the stories are still there. And, you know, it, it'd be great to be able to tell as many as we can, just share those stories of that are very inspiring. And the recipients themselves, as, as you've realised, they're all so humble um, and they don't want to take ownership generally for the actions they did they see it as a you know, just part of a team or just doing their job or um, um and actually when you look at it from the outside you can see that they individually did do something extra that wasn't just part of the team it wasn't just doing their job there was more to it and that's why they were recognized but there's so many of those stories and it'd be great to tell them so the first story that you brought to our attention and it was our first episode um I don't think we would have found it if it hadn't been for you because it doesn't appear. You Google the story and it's not there anywhere. It's in a book mm. um, but that you'd read. And the interesting part and the, the reason it's stuck in your mind because this is the episode with Chris Barnforth, MC, because you were there, Darren. Do you want yeah, to so explain a little bit more? It's in the episode. <laughs> but So I was reading this book. Uh, it's called In Foreign Fields and it was just a short collection stories about people who'd been awarded medals and I was reading this book and I was like this sounds familiar and um, uh, it's just about a uh, an incident in Basra it's quite the early days post the kind of invasion of of Iraq in the second Gulf War uh, quite early days into the kind of you know the, the British tour so it was Optelic 3 um, and I was attached for a certain amount of time to the Queen's Royal Hussars. Um, and anyway, I was reading this book and this guy from the Queen's Royal Hussars had got an MC and I was reading this story and I was like, no, I was in that. I was in that ambush. Um, and I didn't know that this guy Barney had gone on to be awarded the Military Cross because I wasn't part of their unit. We just, I, I was a military policeman attached to go and 
do a specific training mission for about six weeks. And I was still kind of in touch with one of the guys from that tour. So when this project came up, um, I, um, I think I was working on something different and I asked someone about it and he said, oh, Barney's still around and there's um, a, a young guy called uh, Pikey who we spoke to as well. They're still around, uh, you know, they're, they've all left the military, but they're still in touch with people. Um, so I reached out to various different people and we got in touch with, with Barney, uh, Pikey, Kingy. Trevor was the, the, the person who I'd worked with the most. He was um, still serving down at Bobbington. Got in touch with the old commanding officer, um, Major Cocup. He was Major Cocup then. Um, and yeah, that all came together. And it was really, for me, you know, almost 20 years after that incident of being in that ambush uh, to just catch up. With, I hadn't seen Pikey since, you know, we lifted him onto a helicopter and he'd been kazabacked out, quite seriously wounded at the time. Um, and I hadn't seen him or heard from him, you know, because we just don't work that way. We, you know, as as harsh as it sounds, those incidents happen and then you just move on to the next job, the next incident in some cases. Yeah, so it was great to catch up. And I think it made a really good first episode, mostly because of the characters. I love that episode. Yeah. It's um, so funny. Yeah. It shouldn't be funny. No, but... But it is but funny. that's how it is. And actually what people won't know is that whilst we were setting up, those three guys were sat in the bar, weren't they? Yes. And, and that, that becomes a bit... <laughs> Like now you know that you watch that again with a different. Um, I think they'd a, had a couple of beers. Hadn't <laughs> they'd they? had a few beers, but yeah, such you know great dits is what you know they were telling, and they could have gone on all day. And actually, um, there's probably a lot of people I haven't seen from some of those episodes. One of our producers has spoken to Chris, and he did a radio interview on BFBS Radio yeah. to talk about how he felt about the episode, didn't he? And he felt like he got some closure from it that it kind of sorted everything out in his head yeah and actually I, I i stayed in touch with chris quite for quite a while and not just that chris was really chuffed that we'd spoken to pikey and kingy because they never had their stories told he was the one who got the recognition from that incident and he thought it gave them an opportunity to tell their story and also give it some closure and you know young, young pikey actually got a queen's commendation for bravery so he was recognized he was badly injured but his actions in driving during the initial ambush probably saved everyone in that vehicle because he took some evasive actions and and got people out of the immediate killing area even though he was badly injured um and you know he was also recognized so in some way we got to tell his story so you didn't get recognized for keeping an eye on the backpacker no the backpacker we did mention it in the episode um <laughs> the backpacker because um, you looked after him especially, didn't you? Yeah, so I stood on the backpacker's head. I put him in the in the well of the... Of the which is that is, allowed? I don't know. It was for his safety. Um, I basically put him in the well of the snatch and, and stood on, on him to keep him down there um, whilst it was machine gun fire. I didn't, I didn't know that there was RPGs winging around. And I don't know if RPG hit our vehicle but lots of machine gun fire and uh that sounds like being inside a metal box with ding 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 it sounds exactly as you would think it is um but there's a lot um and you know we've got guys out the, out the top trying to put fire down that way but there was so much incoming fire that they had to jump drop down for a few seconds um yeah so the best the safest place for the backpacker was on the floor under your in the foot. well <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Let's talk a little bit more about Series 1. What have been your favourite Tia Medals moments so far? Is there anything that really stands out for you? I think every story is so unique. And I've I've got a general interest in military history, not not like to study it, but I do, you know, like to read about the wider military. Um, and uh, you know, as as a as a teenager, I read about the Falklands and um, Northern Ireland in particular. So hearing these stories from from those eras are, you know, it blows my mind away that I'm sitting talking to these people who've done the stuff that you read about in books and see in movies. Um, I guess the episode with Keith Mills really was one of those like wow moments because the Falklands War for the British Army is a it's one of the only times they've acted completely independently in recent kind of history. So there wasn't anyone else to come to. The, it was just the British, and those stories and images are very very well known. But that story in particular wasn't well known to me that Keith and his team of Royal Marines had their own little skirmish battle, whatever it is, on South Georgia. Just to listen to those guys, you know, Bob Bob Ashton, the machine gunner. It was like it happened, because I was sitting in on that. It was like it happened yesterday. Yeah, they could spin a dip. They both just added so much colour to that story. And yet, when you boil it down, you know, very serious incident. Lots of people could have died lots of really tense moments of, you know, we're saying about having to convince his own short soldiers that they were going to, you know, surrender. And the word surrender being very contentious, getting up and walking out there, all that kind of stuff. It was just like, and then still being quite brave in front of the Argentinians of like, you know, you really need to all kind of calm down because otherwise... You know, lots of people have got fingers on triggers on both sides here. So we really need to kind of calm this down. Otherwise, it's going to be a bloodbath potentially. Um, so, yeah, just just to sit there and listen to that. Um, just like So I guess that's a real standout moment. But everyone is spoken to, you know, Michelle was so feminine and quiet. Yeah. And yet she um, and all of her crew like, were like ice, cold as steel. ice. Yeah. <laughs> And when she flew that helicopter. Yeah, so they all had those standout moments. Um, I had a little chat with her in the run-up to the interview and she was quite stressed out about moving house. And I said, how can you be stressed out about moving house when you've landed a helicopter under fire in the middle of Basra at night? So I don't know. <laughs> just, yeah. I just do. It's just normal. It's just, it's really fascinating how people have that in them. But they still have to deal with the stuff yeah, the rest I, of us deal with. Yeah, I think that's with. why I liked to try and find these stories and tell them because I've seen it 10 times more than will ever be recognised by awards. You just see people doing stuff that's like becomes the norm, but it isn't the norm. And I think a lot of people outside the military realise that the people in the military are doing a not normal job, but inside the military, you just see it as normal. And there's so many different things that just go on. And people like you tell people at home or your mum, and they're like, what? And people actually play it down a lot. And I've done that. You, you tell your family and at home how that you, know, you play it down. But in reality, you know, they're in the background. Why do you play it down? Because you don't want to... You don't want, you don't want them to worry. There's it's stuff that's outside of their... It's outside of your control. So there's no point them being worried about it. You know, literally on the phone in Afghanistan, phoning home. And there's 
bullets and explosions going off in the background. Then you're like, oh, it's just a TV, mum, got to go and hang up <laughs> without trying to worry them. But, you know, you've got to move on. So what have you learned? I think I've learned that I thought everyone would be happy to tell their stories. And I think what we've learned is that people don't want to tell their stories necessarily. For a lot of people, actually for every incident, it was a traumatic incident. And we want them to tell their stories. But a lot of people don't want to revisit it. And now I've spoken to so many people that we're never going to get on the podcast. We're never going to get them because they just don't want to revisit their that incident. And when they explain it to you in that way, it's like, oh, of course you don't want to talk about it. Yeah. Um, and that's what I've learned is that that these stories are, you know, in some way remarkable, but in other ways, something really bad has happened for that to happen. And to an outsider or to someone who wasn't there, not everyone wants to tell that story I or revisit it. It's like you've just said, the stuff you keep from your family. And if you're going to sit down in these chairs and tell those stories and your mum's watching, how do you feel about that sort of thing? Yeah. And actually, you know, I think I would now look at everyone who has any kind of extra award for gallantry or bravery um, and, and see that that so much more, you know, that not everyone wants to tell you why they got it or what the circumstances were. And sometimes I've also learned that there's not always one incident that necessarily gets you a military cross. Sometimes it's just a whole collection of things that happen that, that there's no one standout incident. And uh, yeah, that's what I've learned. That's why we haven't really done the Navy, isn't it? Because yeah. the Navy medals are often for lots of they're things. For, yeah, they're for more kind of battles rather than... Um, but we would like to hear from the Navy. Yeah, and the Navy have got so many great stories to tell um, uh, in a completely different... They're so different from the Army. And obviously my experiences with the Army. Hopefully we'll get somebody sometime. Let's talk about the new series, which is quite exciting. We've done some interviews already. Do you want to just give a little overview? So the first one we've done really is John Thompson. Yeah, so John Thompson from the Royal Marines. Um, the highest decorated serving war marine he's left now but he is holder of the conspicuous gallantry cross and a, min a mentioned dispatches both from completely separate separate incidents and i guess mine and tomo's careers were, were pretty similar in times a bit a little bit um offset but you know we've been through all the same places so we were able to have those chats you know about afghanistan iraq I can talk because I've been there. You both could. I've got to edit it. <laughs> it's so long. <laughs> um, and it might be worth saying that I was I was a military policeman and sometimes that involved driving around in a police car and locking up soldiers who'd been naughty. But for me in particular, most of my career was at the front end of the military police attached to the infantry. So two years in Northern Ireland in Cross McGlenn attached to the infantry all of the way through Iraq and Afghanistan tours was normally not in a policing role. I'm with the infantry as, as it's called close support. So I'm there to deal with stuff like prisoners that get taken, the unfortunate times when casualties are, are taken and, you know, evidence needs to be gathered. Um, and that's British casualties, 
generally. Um, not necessarily to investigate when soldiers shoot enemy combatants, but sometimes to be to be there to be a voice of reason to help the commanding officer investigate that. They they investigate that in what's called shooting incident reviews, and that's it's not a military police function to investigate that unless there's a crime. Um, so, but it's always you know to advise the commanding officer on this is a shooting incident review. You can deal with this. It's not there's no immediate crime like apparent. Um, yeah, so always attached to the infantry, pretty much uh, from almost all of my operational career was attached um, to some infantry unit or another. And the other one we've done is Colonel Richard Wesley. Yeah, and that's another story that's just like needs to be told more. And again, it probably was very well known at the time and his involvement was in uh, early on in the Bosnian War, the, the Yugoslav War. And his part of it was in a small town called Garajda. And everyone who knows about military history will know about the, the massacre at Srebrenica, um, which happened a few weeks later. But that massacre could have happened at Garajda. And thousands of Bosnian Muslim civilians and, and, and soldiers could have been massacred in the same way if Major Richard Wesley's Royal Welsh Fusiliers hadn't basically just, you know, helped to stave it off in in the way that they did and um yeah and another story that's just like how does how does everyone not know about this um bosnia is a bit forgotten about i always think yeah i think because it had been overshadowed by you know it quickly rolled from bosnia into a number of other conflicts so you had the the kosovo deployments that actually there was stuff in macedonia there was all that kind of breakup of the former yugoslavia but then very quickly came along um the you know, the Gulf Wars and Op Fingal and then Op Herrick in Afghanistan. And those wars were completely different, you know, big multinational um, ground defensive type stuff at the outset. So I guess, yeah, it just was overshadowed. I've got one more question for you. Have you got any medals, Darren? I've got some medals, uh, but I haven't got any medals or awards for for gallantry. And that's why... It's those stories, you know, the medals I've got are just tour medals. Um, I've got all of them, but um, it's the it's the gallantry stories that are there. You know, I was just lucky or unlucky in my career. Some, I know people who, who've joined up and did a full career with a Northern Ireland medal. Um, that's all, that's all there was at the time, or the General Service Medal, Northern Ireland. And... Um, I was just happened to join at the time when got busy when it got busy <laughs> and and you know I remember sitting at my first regimental dinner um, as a as a kind of corporal with like five and my RSM had one that's probably reversed now it's gone it's gone the other way around so the RSM's probably got nine or ten and his the soldiers who joined now might have none or one because there isn't the amount of operations going on there's stuff going on but you know only certain deployments and missions are, are recognized with the award of operational medals um and you know there's few of them out there so you know you've probably got sergeants in the units now that might have done might have just caught the end of, of an afghan tour um but then there might be some who just completely missed it and 
that's why it's unlucky or lucky. What well, I don't know what the answer is. It's for me. I felt lucky. I enjoyed deploying overseas. I think that's what people joined to do: is to go and soldier. Not many people joined through that period who wanted to stay behind. And is there somebody you'd like to interview that we haven't done, or a particular story you've got your eye on? That I wish you'd aim me off for that one. Uh, of course, we'd love to interview. Uh, Victoria Cross holder and there aren't many out there so um, Johnson B. Harry is is one and I remember reading his book and it'd be great to talk to him and yeah I don't think we'll get the others Have you finished your tea? Almost, no (laughs) I didn't realise we were wrapping up So obviously I know how this is all put together but do you want to explain how we make tea and medals? Yeah, so as people will know there's a main interview um, but we try and get some side interviews. And today we're in our studio at BFBS, but we also try and move this around if we need to. We can take it to other places. Show. It's a travelling show. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so there's a the main interview and then we try and get some side interviews to add to the story. And generally, because people are so humble, to try and get that other view or perspective on it. And it worked really well in the Chris Bamforth episodes we literally had people like positioned at different points during the ambush so we literally got that different perspective um yeah and then afterwards it obviously gets edited into a yeah more concise version and then it goes out on youtube and and what some people might not know is it's also a podcast so it's also out there in just an audio format so production wise that causes you some problems you've you know, I'm very picky to... about the microphones. <laughs> yeah. Um, and actually, there's some more stuff in the podcast than there is in the uh, in the in the YouTube um, version because we have that more tea episode, uh, which is kind of, you know, extra bits in between. Um, yeah. And actually, we explore a lot more about the history of the each of the individual medals and talk about some examples of some uh, recipients who who don't appear on the show. So, yeah, there's definitely more to it than just the sitting down talking bit and people can listen on all the podcast platforms. So if they're on the move and um, can't watch or they want to get that extra stuff and the more tea, then, yeah, that's where they can get it. And we've loved the comments, haven't we? Well, it, I mean, you get the emails from all over the world, and and, uh, and any any great emails also get a mug. Yeah, we've had a few requests for the mugs. Yeah, um, so you can get those if you uh, comment um, or send in suggestions of people we need to speak to. And uh, I've probably already tried to speak to them because I've, I've I've tried to speak to so many people. Got an email from Darren. <laughs> You could be sitting in that chair. With a mug. You get a mug. And a tea. <laughs> or a coffee. So what's next for Tea Medals? So obviously Series 2 is in production. They've got some great stuff coming up. Follow us on social media. Um, subscribe on YouTube, BFBS Creative. Um, and yeah, hopefully we've got some new stuff up our sleeve. And you can email us at podcast at bfbs.com. Yeah, you put that bit in the in the end, don't you? So. Yeah. In your newscaster your audio voice. Version. Yeah, that's me at the beginning with the warning. Yeah. <laughs> the scary voice. Cool. Thank you, Darren. No, thank you. It wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. 
<laughs> what did you think it was going to be like? I thought there was going to be some really hard really? questions. Really? You think I'd do yeah. that to you? Yeah, I thought you'd been planning this for weeks. <laughs> no, I think I think that's it. And Next no... time we'll take we'll take questions from the viewers. Yeah. <laughs> um, there was no spitting your tea out. You no, I wanted I wanted Darren to <laughs> tell me something where I spit my tea out, but you didn't. You're going to ask any of my stories. <laughs> oh, come on then. <laughs> Let's have some of your stories. Turn the cameras off. <laughs>